First Peter. Are you excited? First Peter, this series that we started last week, is a call to stand firm. And as Phil shared last week, context changes content. When we understand the context, that that informs us and gives us clear understanding to what is written. And that video just pointed so much to the person that wrote this letter, and that is a significant part of context. I'd like to uh, focus a little bit on that person, Peter, as it talked again through a really brief summary of his life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to, I was going to focus just on one story, but I need to give some background. A number of things that were mentioned about Peter's life are really significant for us as we study this book. And one of the things that, that again, Phil shared last week is that when we look at his life, we realize that he's relatable and that we can connect to him in so many ways when we look at how he lived, the things that he did. And, you know, some of the things that were talked about in this video is that, uh, is that Peter was one of those guys that just jumped out, like he was uh, impetuous, he would, he would respond quickly, and um, sometimes, you know, I think about the scripture that God knows um, each word before we speak it, uh, you know, that's not us often. Like, we often speak and then we realize what we said, and that's kind of what Peter did so many times, like he talked and then it's like, you know, what just came out of my mouth? So, I mean, that, that one part um, where... Uh, back in Matthew 16, where Jesus is asking, who do people say that I am? And Peter, inspired by God, Jesus even identified, God has told you this. Like, this isn't revealed by flesh and blood. Peter made this declaration that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and he received, immediately received Jesus' affirmation. And then he gets the rebuke because he's speaking against what Christ says is going to happen and he receives the rebuke from Christ where Christ actually says to him, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of, of the Father. So, I mean, there's this guy that, again, he gets it right and then he gets it wrong. You know, he makes that, uh, the bold statement and then he makes another bold statement and totally misses it. But then we fast forward and we look in the last moments of Jesus' life and we go to John chapter 13 and we have Jesus, this very intimate moment where he goes to wash the disciples' feet. He's showing them that, that he was first must be servant of all. And when Jesus comes to Peter and he's ready to wash Peter's feet, um, Peter stops him. He says, no, don't do it. And Jesus says, if, if you don't let me do this, you have no part in me. And then Peter, his response is, okay, then wash me all over. Like, do it all. Like, I, I, you know, so, so, I mean, there's this quick flip from no, not at all to everything. And then Jesus says, just your feet, Peter. That's, that's all I'm asking. And, uh, and Jesus washes Peter's feet. So we see this again, this, this jumps out, you know, it, but it's often in his own direction. It's only often in, in his way, in his, uh, his will, his timing with what he wants, what he desires. And he thinks that it's right. He's not responding knowingly wrong, but he feels like what he's, what he's doing is, is correct. And then we have this time um, where Jesus predicts that Peter's going to deny him. You know, again, it's a timing thing where, where Jesus says, you know, where I'm going, you cannot come now. And Peter says, yes, I can. Yeah, I, I'm coming with you now. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. So again, it's, it, he's well-intentioned, but it's like my way, my time. And Peter's saying, now, yes, I can, I will. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you, you, know, you don't understand. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And it happens. But then that leads us to the part that I wanted to focus on. So the, the, the prophecy of the denial happens in John 13. 
the actual denial happens in John 18. But then we move to John 21, and we have after Jesus' death and resurrection, where they're fishing in the sea. The disciples go back to fishing in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus appears on the shore, and there's this miraculous catch of fish. And again, you know, John identifies that's the Christ on the shore. And Peter says, yeah, it sure is. And he jumps in and he swims to shore. And then, um, and then everybody else drags the, you know, the, the fish in. And they bring the boat in. And then Jesus says, I want some of this fish. And Peter jumps in the boat and pulls, you know, drags the net in. So, I mean, he's the jumpy guy. You know, he's like here, there, just jumping all over the place. And, and, and in this context, Jesus then feeds them. And then he walks with Peter. And in this conversation, there's three times in this conversation where, where Jesus Ask him, like, you know, Peter, do you love me? Let's just settle down here. Let, lean back in the loving arms, right? We sang it. I kind of feel like that's what was happening in this conversation of Jesus with Peter. It's like, do you love me? And, and Peter's response is, yes, Lord, I do love you. And Jesus gives command. And three times this process happens. But I want you to, to hear what Jesus is saying to Peter. He's saying, in response, when Peter says, I love you, you know that I love you. Jesus says to Peter, to feed, to take care of my lambs and my sheep. Now Jesus is about to go, to go back to heaven. And he's specifically called out Peter to take care of the ones that he died for. Just let that sink in. Jesus, do you know what you're doing? The answer is yes. That he took this very person who had denied him and had said the right and said the wrong and had promised one thing and done another and flip-flopped and, and all these things and had good intentions and then failed. And Jesus says, Peter, I want you to care for, I want you to to. to um, to feed my lambs and my sheep, the ones that I gave my life for, I'm entrusting to you. Now, this may seem ridiculous, but it's God. It's, it's what God does because can you and I, can we relate to, to who Peter was? You know, we, make the, we have the good intentions we can raise our hands, we can jump forward, we can, we can do things and we mean well and then we fall and we fail. And then, you know, that cycle repeats. And we can relate to the, to, the, uh, to the successes and the failures of Peter probably in our lives. But especially the failures. We can look at ourselves and it's like, but God, like, I let you down again and I realized I meant well here but I was off track and I was trying to, trying to do it my way. But then God comes to us and he entrusts us with those that he cares about most. This context is so important. This context is so important that this man who, who did these things and lived this way is also the one who is empowered by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Again, it was in the video that he stands up and he declares the word of God. He's the one who is willing to be beaten and rejoices that he's beaten for, for the sake of Christ. He's the one that, that is transformed, the same man is transformed into a powerhouse for God. And in fact, I, I love this, in 2 in second, in second Peter uh, 
chapter one, he says that his divine power, his, his declaration is this, is that God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. The same man that was that, you know, messing up and failing makes this declaration, God's given us everything we need. Friends, listen, this is the apostle Peter. And he is saying to us, God has given us everything that we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter's gonna give us some instruction today that is challenging, that may seem hard, and it may seem impossible. But this one who, is, who God is speaking through, the apostle Peter, that the Holy Spirit has inspired to write these words, is very much like you and me. And he is calling us by the power of the Spirit, the inspiration of God, to, to lead us and to, to, and to say, come to this place. And he's saying, it's possible. It's possible. In fact, in God, it is his design. It is his desire. Uh, so we're going to be challenged this morning. And our challenge is going to be this, to be holy. Our challenge is to be holy. And we're going to unpack what that means, but I don't know about you, but when I think about being holy, immediately I can fall back to, I can't. It's impossible. How? But the Apostle Peter, by the, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, is calling us to be holy. And I want you to hear him calling you today to be holy. So God, we bow our, our hearts before you. God, posture us right now. Lord, to receive your word, God, under your anointing, by your power, personally and to us. God, I thank you that this word is alive and it's active. God, that it pierces to the innermost part of our being. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that your word would have free reign here in this place and for all those that are, uh, that are hearing uh, remotely. God, I pray, Lord, that your word would have power to penetrate our being God, so that we would be transformed to be more like you. And God, when we read these words, help us not to doubt your word, but to trust your word. God, help us to press in with you and to, again, to lean back into your loving arms and receive, Lord, what you are calling us to do and to be. God, help us to trust in you for the strength and for the power to respond to your word, to believe in your word, and to walk in your word. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus and everyone said, amen. So did you expect me to say everybody sang? One of these days. <laughs> um, by the way, I know Phil often, you know, like gives some critique of your singing of the song, amen. And, but you're improving. We're improving. I'm part of that crowd singing. So, uh, so that's exciting. So what we're going to do now, we're going to be in the second half of First Peter chapter 1. There's 13 verses from 13 to 25. And what I'm gonna do first is that we're going to read through the, the entire passage. Again, it's only 13 verses. And what I want to encourage you to do, we're gonna go back and we're gonna look at those verses verse by verse. Um, but what I would encourage you as we read through this first time is to, uh, something that, that again, we, we were taught about on Wednesday nights, uh, is to look for that, that burning bush. Like, like, you know, we're going to be sharing, again, truths through this, the entirety of these, this passage, but I'm absolutely 100% convinced that God has a specific word for you, that God wants to speak something into your life. So you don't need to get it all. Get the one thing that God wants to speak to you from his word. 
So as I read down through this passage, look for that burning bush. Look for something that just kind of stands out to you and then just kind of hold on to that and see how God wants to speak his truth to your life in that word. Uh, so again, we're going to read down, down through verses 13 through 25. Peter begins this way. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for, one, for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So in this passage, we are called to be holy, to be holy. So what does it mean to be holy? There are uh, different words uh, that, that are often used in explanation of, of what it means to be holy. Uh, one is to be set apart and to be set apart. That means not just being set apart from something, but being set apart to something. When we're talking about holiness with God, we're talking about being set apart from the old life and set apart to God. Set apart from our old way of living and set apart to his way. So set apart is one. Uh, separate, again, is, is, is a, another um, synonym for being holy. Uh, being dedicated or consecrated can be a definition of holy. But this one really uh, stood out at me, to me as, we, as I was preparing for this week. And it's this. To be holy means to be different. To be different. God is a holy God. He's different. He's, he is, again, that's set apart and separate, but he's different. And as we are holy, we are called to be different, different from the world around us, to live different lives than what we lived before we came to know Christ. And that different, I think, is, uh, again, something that just resonated in my heart and may connect with, with you as well. So we're going to go through these scriptures and we're going to unpack what it means to be holy, what it means to be different, because this is what God is calling us to through the Apostle Peter. And as we go through these passages, what we're going to be doing is going to be looking at how holiness can be established through focus. Holiness can be established through focus. As we focus on the things that the scripture is pointing us to, as we give our attention to those things, that the holiness that we're called to will manifest in our lives. And there's three things that we're going to be looking at as far as our focus. To be holy, we need to have a future focus. 
that calls us to live holy lives, a future focus. We're going to be going down through these, and these are going to be up on the screen as we talk through the passage. But it's, it's that future focus. The second thing is a Jesus focus. And that focus on Jesus is what empowers us to live holy lives. The Jesus focus. And third, family focus. And what, what I'm talking about when we say family focus is family of God. And that family focus causes us to love others as we live holy lives. So again, three focuses. Future focus, Jesus focus, and family focus. Uh, so now we're going to jump into the passage. We're going to go verse by verse and see what Peter's telling us concerning focus through these verses. So this future focus calls us to live holy lives. Okay, verse 13 begins with this word, therefore. Now, the, the phrase that you may have heard before, and I, I encourage you to remember is this, is that when, you go to, when you're in Scripture, reading Scripture, and you see therefore, see what it's there for. Okay. You know, because what it does, it's building a bridge. It's building on something. Something has just been said. And in light of that, with that as the foundation, therefore this, okay? So last week, as Pastor Phil brought us um, the message from the first part of the chapter, it talks about the security of our salvation, the surety of our faith. It's pointing ahead. It's saying that, that we have this living hope. But what it's doing, again, it's speaking to people who are going through trials. They're, they're going through suffering. And in regards to that, it points to faith. As Phil shared, the trials of our life, they reveal the genuineness of our faith, the object of our faith, and the fruit of our faith. That the trials that we often don't want to be in, God uses them to accomplish things, to again reveal genuineness, not just show us the genuineness, but build genuineness, deeper genuineness in our faith. It, it leads us to see where we have placed our faith, possibly in other things besides Christ. And it, call, it calls us to, to place our faith in him. And then there's the promise of the fruit of faith, that we are the result, the fruit of the faith of the prophets. And there is fruit that comes as we walk in obedience. So therefore, in light of this, that this trials work, work to build our faith and, and to interact with our faith, in light of this, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Therefore, in light of what you're going through, the first thing he says is this, that with minds that are alert and fully sober. Now this phrase is going to appear again later in 1 Peter in chapter 5. Where, where we're called to have alert and sober minds. Now, this translation, the, the NIV, is saying with minds that are alert. Other translations go back to an earlier explanation or, or, or way of interpreting the Scripture that has some roots in the Old Testament. And it says this, it says, gird the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Okay, now you see why they said have minds that are alert, right? <laughs> what does gird up the loins of your mind mean? Well, the reason I wanted to go to that translation to explain this is that where it says, again, minds that are, that are alert, it means minds that are ready to run, that are ready to set aside distractions. Because when saying, gird up the loins of your mind, it's actually pointing back in the Old Testament. There are several places, um, I'm sure there are more, but I want to reference two where, uh, where it helps us to understand this. Uh, when the Israelites were instructed to eat the Passover meal, they were slaves in Egypt, they were about to be delivered, and God gave them this, the Passover. We're going to look at this in just a little bit. But God gave them the Passover, and he said, this is what you're to eat, and here's how you, you're to eat it. 
you're to gird up your loins, have your sandals on, and your staff in your hand while you're eating. And what he's saying, it means, so, so they would, the robe would be long, and the robe would just be pulled up and tucked basically in their belt, and so that they could move, so that they could run, so that they wouldn't be tripped up. So in this, in this process of deliverance, Jesus, you know, God was giving instruction to his people, gird up your loins, be ready to run, be focused, let's go. And then we have the prophet Elijah, that when the rain is coming, after there was this tremendous um, victory by God's power, Scripture says that, that he girded up, uh, the, he did the same thing. He girded up the, the, the loins of his garment, and he, so he tucked his robe into his belt, and he ran so fast that he out, outran Ahaz in his chariot. Okay? So, I mean, this is ready for movement. So what we're doing in our minds, we need to gird up the loins of our minds. It means to, to pick up and be ready to move. Like something that could trip you up, pick it up. Okay? Something that could hinder your walk. You need to deal with it. You need to, to tuck it in, to pull it in. So this is a disciplined way of thinking. And when he says be sober, it means, yes, it, it, yeah, be sober. Okay? We're talking about substance. You know, don't abuse substances. It's, it's that. But it's, being sober in your mind means to be settled, to be clear. You know, we can be intoxicated in our thinking. Can I tell you, like, as a society, we get so intoxicated in our thinking that we're drawn to extremes, we're, we're drawn to responses and reactions that aren't good for us. And, and Peter's saying, like, settle down in your thoughts. Be active, be ready, be sober. Here's what we need to do. In light of living in these trials and, and like, having our faith challenged, I want you to just settle down because I've got something for you. I want you to look ahead. I want you to look ahead. Look to the future. Because here's, here's what he says. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. This is a future grace. So certainly, we have grace in the now. Certainly, we do have his grace right now in this moment. Certainly, his grace is available tomorrow. But there's a future grace, the unmerited favor of God is, that's going to be revealed. And I want you to fix your eyes on that. Look ahead. I need to have a future thinking. Future grace to be revealed at Christ's coming prompts us to active self-discipline, to realize that there's something that's going to be revealed that like literally will blow our minds away. The grace that we've tasted now is incredible. Oh, but boy, there's something better to come. When we step into that fullness that God has prepared for us, look ahead. So do you know what? Where we go is, is determined by where we look, right? So in driving, I really, yeah, I've got to go there. So when we're driving, you're following somebody, you can kind of tell where they're looking, right? Like if they're centered right in the lane, they're looking at the right distance down the road because if they look too close to either side to, to where they're going, they're going to they're move to the center or move to the side. But there's a proper distance that you look down that's going to keep you centered in the lane. And then there's those that, that move off the road and cross the center line and they're looking at their phone. You know, I mean, they're, they're looking at something else besides the road. They're doing their makeup. Or I'll confess to long before phones... Tying their tie, I've done it, like years past, like while you're driving, it's not good. Okay, but, but they're, they're, they're looking to something other than what they should be. And they're gonna drift, they're gonna, they're gonna get off track. And if I'm walking, I'm simply looking down, I'm gonna run right into something, or I'm gonna go off course from where I'm hoping. But there's the looking ahead. Yes, I'm aware of where I'm at right now. In fact, the word, the word of God, is a, is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. So there is this that's being lit right here, but I gotta keep a future focus if I'm gonna go straight. 
And there's this future grace that is to be revealed. And, and, and Peter is, is calling us to look at that. Like how often, how often are we looking to Christ's return and to the fullness of salvation that's going to be experienced when we are, we are taken to be with him? We need to have this future focus. In fact, 1 John 3, 3 says this, that all who have this hope in him purify themselves. That's holiness just as he is pure. That future focus. This future focus calls us to live holy lives in this. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in, in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So it talks about as obedient children, that's you and me, those who have been called into the family of God, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Before we came to Christ, we didn't know what we were doing. Ignorance is not knowing. Now, yes, there's willful disobedience and we may have heard the truth, but yet if we really knew what we were doing, we would have stopped. But in our past, we lived in ignorance. But this is saying, put aside, put, put, putting off our, our past life behind us. And that frees us then to be growing in the holiness that God is calling us to. Putting our past behind us frees us to grow in the life of holiness that he's calling us to. You know, so many times we allow our past to be an attachment to us. So many times we allow our past to, uh, to bring, us, bring habits that we can fall back into. And you know, Phil shared this last week. That sometimes when we get into tough times, what do we do? We can revert back to the old way. And Peter's saying, like, put, the old, put the past in your past. Put it behind you. God's calling you to something now. And that something that he's calling us to right now is holiness. It's holiness. Now, it's not just being separate. It's not just being different. But it's being separate like God. Different like God. I mean, the standard that Peter gives us here is, you know, as I said earlier, like this is impossible. Like, how is it possible? But the reality is this, is that God has called us to it, so he makes it possible. How could Peter take care of the sheep and lambs? He could do it because God gave him power. And he did it well to God's glory. And God is calling you and he's calling me to be holy as God is holy. Now, when we think of the holiness of God, we know that that's absolute moral, moral, moral purity. God has never sinned. He never can. He, that, that, so there's this absolute nature of his holiness that we can't identify with because we're broken, we've fallen, we've sinned. So there's that the moral purity of God, but it's, it's also, again, that, that, that it's what we see in him as far as his character and how he functions, what he does. This is all an outgrowth of, of our holy God. You know, in Scripture, in Isaiah 6, and you go to Revelation 5, we know that right now, like day and night, that holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty is being said and sung around the throne of God constantly. Holy, holy, holy. You know, and what was Isaiah's response in Isaiah 6 when he saw this? He, he, right away, he recognized the holiness of God and said, I'm a man of unclean lips. He saw what was wrong in him. I dwell among a people that's the, that are the same. So this, this holiness of God, this absolute moral purity we cannot attain, but the character and the nature of the holiness of God is what we are being called to. That as God is holy in his character and in his nature, so we are being called to be holy. 
Now there's both the, the uh, positional, uh, sometimes some people call it, it's positional sanctification and, um, and progressive sanctification. So sanctification is being made more holy. Sanctification is growing in likeness into the image of Christ. It's this process. Now there's the posi- positional, and this is in Hebrews chapter 10. If you wanna look at the verses, verses 10 and 14, it says this, that, um, that by God's will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have been made holy. So there's this positional holiness that we have before God because of Christ. When God looks at us who are in Christ, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That positionally, we are holy before a holy God. But then a few verses later in the same chapter in Hebrews, it says that those who are being made holy, same people, so the positional holy is where we stand before God. The, pro- the, the progressive holiness, the progressive sanctification is being made holy. That this is a process that we are called to, to walk in, to grow in day by day throughout our entire lives. All of our lives, all of our lives are called to be holy. Every part of our lives are called to be holy unto God. Different as God separated, set apart to God. So we don't have, in our lives, we don't have the the secular, the worldly, and the sacred. All of our lives are sacred. Every part of our lives are called to be holy, to be different from the world, from our old, old life, from the old man, the old person, the old behavior. God is calling us to be holy as he is holy. So do you hear this call? Can you hear through Peter God's call, be holy as God is holy? Can you hear him calling you to this place? Know that he who calls you is faithful and he will will perform this in you as you yield to him. That he will cause, as you set your focus in, in the right place, as you look toward eternity in the future, he will set your heart to embrace his heart. He will help you to walk in a way that is by your nature and by your character, you are, you are being made holy and more holy and more holy. That progressive growth in holiness. Do you believe that you truly can be holy? If there's question, I understand I've visited that place often. And I can tell you that in Christ, we have this call and this hope that we can be holy. We can grow in holiness. And things that are right now in your life, and they may feel, God, like this is so unholy. That, like, God, I've grown in so many ways, but this part of my life is just like so out of place. It's, it's not different the way it should be. Allow God's call to draw you. Put your focus to the future and know that God will lead you. And then the last verse of this section, this future focus is this, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And here's the truth that I trust that we'll embrace, is that future judgment of our works motivates us to live here as visitors, not as residents. We will give an account we will stand before God. Now the judgment as believers that we face is not about our salvation. That's been dealt with at the cross. We are saved, but our works will be judged. But here's the thing is that so many times when we think, oh man, God's gonna judge this work. Like, am I doing it for him? Like, and, and we can get this paranoia. But here's the thing is that root word of judgment that's used here is speaking like finding the good. Like God is looking forward to finding how you have served him well. 
He's looking forward to finding how you, from a, from a pure heart, have said, God, I just, it's not about me, it's about you. God, I want to do this for you. I want to serve for you. I want you to be seen in this, not me. So there's this future focus that we will be judged, but see it as this invitation. Understand that, that we will give an account. And when I stand before God, I will stand before God as me, not as a pastor of Grace Fellowship Church, not as a husband or as a father. I will stand as an individual before God. You will stand as an individual before God. And you will stand before God with Christ, covered by the sacrifice of Christ. And you, we will give an account for what we've done. Was it pure, from a pure heart? And by God's grace, he wants to lead us to this place where there will be great, great reward. So live with this future focus. We spend a lot on this future focus, a lot of time. What we're going to look at now is this Jesus focus. The Jesus focus empowers us to live holy lives. Jesus focusing on Jesus empowers us to live holy lives. Verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a land without blemish or defect. Our redemption, what is spoken here, being bought with Jesus' blood, brought us into God's family. We need to set in the reality of the price that's been paid for us. We need to have this Jesus focus that leads us towards holiness. To see the price that, was, that, has, that has been paid so what does it say? It's not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed. To be redeemed means to be bought back, that a price has been paid for freedom. That, that the slave who, was, who, was, who could not slay themselves, that, that a price was paid so that slave could now be free. And what, what Peter's saying here, it's not with like earthly things, like, like unimportant, not, not that they're unimportant, but like the highest valuable thing in this world's economy, and he's saying using silver and gold as, as an example here, it's not with the world stuff that you've been bought. In fact, you could have all the riches of the world and try to pay for one salvation and it would not work. It's not with perishable things that we've been bought, but with the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb without spot or blemish. Now, this idea of substitutionary sacrifice is seen in the Old Testament. And I mentioned the Passover earlier. I want to go back to the Passover again. That it was when, when Israel was in, in slavery, in bondage, they could not free themselves. That through a process of God's servant being called out of Moses and the plagues in Egypt, that led to this final, this final time that, that brought deliverance. It was the, when the angel of death, when the death was running through the, the nation, through Egypt, and there's this warning that the firstborn son in every household would die. But for the Israelites, there was, a, there was escape from that. There was deliverance. And they were given instruction that they were to, to kill a lamb, one per household. And if you had a really small household, you went with your neighbors and you, because it, you need to kill, kill a lamb so that it could then be eaten. But to kill the lamb and take the blood of the lamb and apply that blood to the doorpost to, around the door of the home. And that blood, when the angel of death was going through the land, that blood, when that blood was seen over the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over that house and death would not come. 
if they did not follow these instructions, if they do not, did not walk in the way that God provided for deliverance, there would be death in the house. And this helped us, helps us to understand the substitutionary sacrifice, the lamb that was slain so that death would not come. And what happened with the Passover, it was one lamb for one family. In the Day of Atonement, in, in the, uh, the, the Jewish calendar as established by the Lord, there was one lamb for a nation. So the Passover was one lamb for a family. For the, for the Day of Atonement, it's one lamb for a nation. And through Jesus Christ, it's one lamb for the world. John saw Jesus coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That it's Jesus' blood that was sacrificed for us that brought us into the family of God. There could not have been a higher price to be paid than the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus focused, empowers us to live holy lives. When we look at the next verse, it says this, he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Jesus' sacrifice was decided before we were created. This is so important that we, that we hear this, that we receive the truth of this. That even before we were formed, even before we sinned, God said, the solution is me. Jesus was decided before we ever fell. The blood of Jesus was going to be shed before we were ever created. That it wasn't an afterthought. God created us knowing that it would mean that Jesus Christ would die for us. I'm overwhelmed by that. That before you were ever formed, before Adam and Eve ever came to be, the decision was made, Jesus, you're gonna die for the sin of these people. And then Jesus was part of that creation. He said, yes, let's bring them into, into being. We're gonna do it because I'm gonna give my life. He willingly gave his life for us. And then, Jesus focused and empowers us to live holy lives. Verse 21, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God. It wasn't that Jesus just died, he rose again. He conquered sin, death, and the grave. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God. And that same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you and to me. That we can be holy as God is holy as we focus on Jesus and realize that, that that same power that raised Christ from the dead is ours. It dwells in us. We're going to receive communion together in just a few moments. And um, if you did not uh, pick up elements on your way in uh, to the worship center, if you would please raise your hand and keep your hand up. Uh, they will be brought to you. We'd like everybody to have the opportunity to participate. So if you did not receive elements when you came in, please raise your hand. We want to make sure that you have those. As we prepare for communion, I want us to just settle ourselves as we focus on Jesus. Settle ourselves in, in his presence and allow our hearts to be prepared. Paul, when he gave instructions concerning the, the, the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11, he instructed us that we are, we are to be careful that we are to examine ourselves. 
that we do not receive this in an unworthy manner. And there's, I know that there are, are different teachings about un, what unworthy uh, manner means, um, and some people can become fearful of that. We need to be, have respect. We need to have all as we come before God and receive these elements together. But I'd like to speak to this. Is that what Paul was doing, he was correcting the Corinthian church because they had what was called the Lord's Supper and they, uh, with it was a meal. There were things, um, it, was, it was a lot more. They, they didn't have the plastic cups with the, the juice and the, the wafer in, okay? They did it differently then. But what was happening is that people were being left out. Some were, um, those that had, were taking for themselves and were totally disregarding those that had not. There's some that went hungry. There was, but the, the issue was not, not discerning the body of Christ in this way among us, you know, among the body. Uh, that was the primary issue that was being, being addressed. And Paul was saying, don't do that. You know, and as we come together, the way that we can, what we need to guard against is that none of us takes this in pride. Like none of, this, none of us should ever take these elements thinking like, I'm good enough, I deserve this. It's anything about me. You've heard this phrase often. Here's the reality. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's none that is higher. There's none that is lower. We were all lost. We were born into sin. Our, the, the way handed down by our ancestors was a way of the flesh. We, we were born with a sinful nature in us, all of us. And the only way that we can be made right with God is through the work of Jesus Christ. There's only one way. It's through his shed blood, his body that was given for us. So ground is level at the foot of the cross. So as we take this, we need to make sure that we're not taking it in pride, thinking that there's something in and of ourselves that makes us worthy. It's all because of the grace of God, his unmerited favor, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So we want to do that. The second thing that we want to do is just examine our lives. Like, where are we at? Or like, are we living for him? You know, and you may have come in here and, and you have not made that step from death to life, that you have not surrendered your life to God. You have not accepted the provision of Christ's sacrifice for your sin. Let me tell you this. If you entered that way, we were all there at one time. But the Holy Spirit brings to our understanding that, that we are sinful, and because we are sinful, we are destined for death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And when, for anyone that came in not being in relationship with God, may we implore you, may we plead with you, surrender your life to God, accept his provision. There's nothing that you can do. You can't work enough, you can't give enough, you can't do enough to be right with God. It's only through Jesus. So we invite you to accept this gift of Jesus' blood for, as covering for your sin. He died for us so that we can be made whole. So for those that have not yielded to Christ, I want to invite you to do that now. But for those of us that are walking with Christ, this is a time where God may speak clearly to us and say, here's an area of your life that, that I'm calling you to give to me. Here's an area of life that you've been holding back. I died to cover that. Will you allow me to work my life into your life in this area? So this is part of how we examine ourselves. And what we're about to do is this. 
is that we're taking something simple, an external thing, and we're placing it in our bodies, in our physical bodies. These are all physical things, but it's more than that. What we are doing is as we partake of this, we, we are understanding that these are representative of Jesus, Jesus' gift for us. And we're taking them into ourselves and realizing that again, it's only because of Jesus in us that we have life and we are made holy before God. So as we take the elements, understand that these are representative of what Jesus has done in giving himself for you. And this is identification with him. He identified with our sin, we are identifying with his life. So let's pray and then we're gonna partake together. God, thank you. God, that when we were lost, we were without hope. And Father, you gave your son for us, the spotless one, the unblemished one for our sin. You demonstrated your love for us in this. And Jesus, we thank you for laying down your life, that this, we were not an afterthought, but before we were created, you chose to love us in this way. You chose to enter into our lives, to walk our soil, You chose to give your life's blood as a payment for our sin. And Jesus, we thank you. So as we receive these elements, oh God, we pray that you would work a deep work in our hearts. God, humble us before you and before one another. God, help us, Lord, to set ourselves apart afresh to you because of the great price that that was paid. As we set our focus on you, Jesus, God, empower us to live holy lives. We thank you, Lord, that this is all possible because of you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you would first take the bread, we will receive of this together. The scripture says that it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. When you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. Scripture goes on to say that after supper that he took the cup. The fruit of the vine was described by Jesus as this, that this is the new covenant in my blood which is given for you. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. So as we drink together, let's remember the price that was paid for our sin. Thank you, Jesus. God, for your life that was given for us. You instructed us to do this, to proclaim your death until you return. Because it's only through your death and through your resurrection that we have life and we have life eternal and we thank you. Oh God, let us walk out carrying afresh your life within us. Being reminded of the great price that was paid that we can be yours forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have family focus and we just have two points with this but they're so important. Family focus loves others as we live holy lives. Family of God, this focus loves others as we live holy lives. The scripture says this in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth 
so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Holy hearts love family sincerely. Hudson Taylor made this quote. This is not scripture. It's a man's words, but I think it's great. It says, if your father and mother, sister and brother, if the very cat and dog in your house are not happier for you being a Christian, it's a question whether you really are. When our hearts have been made pure, when we have been made holy in the sight of Almighty God, His life is within us. He is love. How can love not flow through us? As we have stepped into this relationship with God, we are called to love, but it's not something we need to muster up. It's something we need to allow to penetrate our hearts so that He naturally flows out of us, that He naturally flows through us that we are children of the same Father. We have been given this new identity as we've been focusing on this and we will be in these coming weeks. We've been given this new identity that, that I am a son and you are a son and you are a daughter of the Lord Most High. We belong to this family and we are to love one another. This love, two different words are used, phileo and agape. Phileo is this brotherly, familial love that we have for one another. But then agape is this godlike love, this self-sacrificial love. And it's by this love that we have for one another that they will know that we are Jesus' disciples. That this holy living is a huge part. Like, we can't be living holy lives without loving one another. And we can often, you know, we can feel like, oh man, I've got to love them. No, you get to love them. I've, I've really been, intrigued's not the word. I keep being drawn to this. And it's the next point. So do you want, let me hit this next point and we're gonna put it all together, okay? This is the last point uh, from this passage. This family focus loves others as, as we live holy lives. Let's read this text again. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. The living and enduring word of God. And then it goes back to Isaiah 40 and, it's, and it quotes from there. It says, for all people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And here it is. The eternal word of God births us into forever family. I've been so, like, being, I think, part of my focus, my family focus has been uh, for quite some time now, is this forever family. You know, when we see each other, when we have this family focus that realizes that we're family forever. Like, you know, it's wonderful. My sister's birthday was, um, was within the last couple of weeks. And it was so cold to be able to celebrate her and say, I'm so glad you're my sister, but not just for this life, but forever. Like, yes, she's my biological sister, but she's my spiritual sister. Like, this relationship is not going to end when we die. But we are family forever. And when you think about it, you're not getting rid of us. Like, some of you are happier, and some of you are like, ah. But, but we need to be living in this reality that we are forever family, that we're, we are formed into this family because of the enduring word of God. We are saved through the enduring word of God. That, that enduring, everlasting word of God is within us is because of that word that we are his, that word that is alive within us. And we're gonna be together forever. Let's practice. So, 
are there family members that are tough to love? Oh my, yes. But when they're family, and we realize that they're family because of the work of Christ, oh my goodness, I want to love them. I want to grow in loving. I don't want things to be between us. I don't want relationships to be strained. I want holiness to flow through my life by loving my family, by loving his family. And friends, this is convicting because this is hard. Oh my goodness. We're people. We have opinions. We have perspectives. We have hurt. It's real. Can I tell you, there's a God who is real that's calling us to be holy as he is holy. And by his power, he can lead us to love in ways that are freeing. He can cause us to love in such a way that like a revival breaks out because people say, look at how they love one another. They must belong to Jesus. I want in. Like literally, our family relationships within the body of Christ. I'm not just talking Grace Fellowship. I'm talking the body of Christ. All who belong to him. Oh, God's calling us to something so beautiful. We have taste. We have beautiful. We have wonderful. We have deep, sincere taste of it. And there is so much more to take in. Family, let's do this together. By God's grace, oh, there is more. There is more. So just as God, who called you, is holy, so be holy in all you do. Be holy by having a future focus. Look beyond the temporal. This is just our our temporary residence. As Abraham was just a foreigner in the land promised to him, he was looking for a city not built by human hands, whose whose builder and, and creator is God. Let's have this future focus. Let's keep and grow in our Jesus focus. It's all about him, what he's done for us. And let's embrace one another with a family focus. It's an old song, you're my brother, you're my sister, so take me by the hand. Together we will work until he comes. There's no foe that can defeat us when we're walking side by side. Together, together we will stand, and we will stand firm. We will stand firm in him. So I'm going to dismiss with this simple call. Even as Peter said, be holy. Be holy. Be holy as your God is holy. Grace, that is your dismissal. Yeah, okay, it's like a pastor. It can't just close once. I'll explain dismissal and we're going to do it again. As we go out, as we go out, walk in the truth. Allow your minds to be active and sober. Walk in the truth that you've received and that you've heard, that you've experienced of God. Walk in that truth today, in the next minutes, throughout this day and throughout this week. Walk in this truth. It's, it's that simple and it's that challenging and it's that possible because God lives in you that God lives in you. Look, if any of you would like prayer, uh, we invite you up afterwards. Um, If you just want to be family, man, love on each other like crazy, but grace, you are dismissed to be holy, be holy, be holy.